especially when my kids were younger, um, not so much now because they're all sort of, uh, you know, middle school, high school, grown up age. Um, but especially when they were younger, I made them a lot of things, a lot of things. Um, I didn't often make things for them that I want to get out and play with when they're not home. But this one project um, was definitely one of those. It required a lot of thinking and daydreaming and consideration and preparation ahead of time. And it was so, so worth it. On this episode of the Whipstitch Podcast, I'm talking about the Junior Ranger backpacks with patches that I designed for my children. The design process I went through for making these, the decision making that went into it, and what we do with them now. Thanks for listening. This episode of the Whipstitch Podcast is brought to you by the League of Dressmakers. The League of Dressmakers is an online video sewing club complete with a library of 250 plus sewing videos, PDF downloads, exclusive patterns, and community to help you be fearless in your sewing. You can find us at League of Dressmakers. That's L-E-A-G-U-E of dressmakers.com. Our family loves the Junior Ranger program. If you're not familiar with the National Park Service Junior Ranger program, um, in the United States, the National Park Service operates over 400 different properties. More than 60 of those are national parks, and the rest are an assortment of um, national recreation areas, national historic sites, national battlefields. At almost every one of them, the rangers who are assigned to that particular park property operate a junior ranger program. It invites children from the ages of 5 to 15 to complete activities that are related to to that particular location, to its history, to the people associated with it. Um, Some of the bigger national parks, the actual NP national park properties, don't, they don't have any upper age limit on their junior ranger program. And we have absolutely been to a number of parks where at the end of doing the activities, um, the children will go and find a ranger at the, uh, the you know, uh, what do they call it? A welcome center, right? Sorry. Or the ranger station. And they will have a swearing-in ceremony. Sometimes there are so many other children there that you have to wait your turn in line to be sworn in as a junior ranger. We have absolutely waited in line behind grown adults, retired adults, who come to these national parks and j- just really enjoy and appreciate the experience of, uh, you know, doing a scavenger hunt or finishing these uh, puzzles or learning more about the parks in the way that the National Park Service has made possible through the Junior Ranger program. It is completely free at all but the very largest of the parks. All of the parks will give you a little wooden shield that looks like the National Park Service shield. It is specific to that particular park. Sometimes they're plastic with gold on them, sort of sparkly little pin. And other times they're wooden around the 100th centennial for the National Park Service. There were a lot of wooden badges that were really neat. They're all collectible. Um, And a lot of them, the vast majority of them, will have an embroidered patch. And I can't think of a time in my life where I was really that interested in patches. I was never a Girl Scout. Um, It was, my parents deemed it too expensive a program to participate. Um, I, you know, I never, I was never part of like an organization that earned patches. 
So when my children started doing it, and I very clearly remember the first one they did, it was at Jamestown in 2015. Um, And we walked in the door and there was a sandwich board by the entrance to the Jamestown Visitor Center and an exceedingly enthusiastic park ranger behind the counter. We arrived. It was just me and the kids. My husband was doing a charity walk across England at the time. We had flown back into Norfolk, Virginia and thought, I mean, Jamestown is right there. So why don't we go visit the National Park while we're here? We'd never heard of the Junior Ranger program before. We wouldn't have known anything about it had the sandwich board not said, hey, do the Junior Ranger program. And we walk forward and and she says, do you know anything about the Junior Ranger? No, I don't know anything about it. Well, let me tell you. She told us all about it. Um, It is actually pretty involved at Jamestown. You have to go and really look at the various relics at the site and locate some very specific things. It was very scavenger hunty. But when we finished, we came back to the visitor center and saw the same ranger. She did the swearing in. She gave them a patch. It said Jamestown National Historic Site, visitor, junior ranger. Um, And then because there is um, there's a separate site at Jamestown, if you've ever been to this particular National Park property, there is a glass blowing site where historically the Jamestown residents blew glass, you know, since the, the early 1700s. And they make these paperweights. They're kind of like coasters, the size of coasters. Um, And they're imprinted with the insignia of the National Park. And she had some and just gave them to our kids. And we were all so wowed by that. By her enthusiasm, by the reception, by the idea of the National Park program, of the Junior Ranger program. We just got really, really excited about it. So over the years, as my children collected these badges... We charted our visits to the various parks, the preserves, the recreation areas, the national monuments, the national trails. Um, We learned a ton along the way. Uh, We've been to the smallest national park in the United States, which is the Thaddeus Kosciuszko National Park, National Memorial in Philadelphia. We've been to the Channel Islands, Grand Canyon, the Chattahoochee River Recreation Area, which is near our home in Atlanta, the Mojave Desert to the Edgar Allan Poe Birthplace. We've been to the Everglades. Like There are just these amazing places that you can go that remind me of how massive the United States is and how varied the landscape is in the U.S., and just how much there is to learn if you are willing to spend an hour, just to spend an hour. So to earn these badges, and it's either a patch or a pin or both, the kids would request a booklet at the visitor center at the entrance to the park property, depending on where it is. And some places like the, the Thaddeus Kosciuszko one in Philadelphia, um, it was like a room. <laughs> it really is the smallest national park. And they complete the required number of activities and they, you know, maybe it's a maze. Maybe it's write an original story. Maybe it's design a logo. Maybe it's um, search like a scavenger hunt for clues or answers to questions. They come back to the park ranger. They get sworn in as an official National Park Service junior ranger. And after the first three or four of those, yeah, man, these patches are so cool. They're all embroidered, multicolored embroidered patches. Most of them are three-inch circles, but there's actually a huge range amongst the parks for the variety of of what these patches look like, what they're shaped like. Some of them are arrowheads. Some of them are rectangles. Some parks don't have a specific Junior Ranger badge, but almost every park property has some kind of embroidered collectible patch. Um, So after our kids earned the first three or four, I started looking at them and thinking, these are 
amazing. And we don't have anywhere to put them, right? Like, what are they going to wear a sash? You know, it, it's not the Cub Scouts. They're not going to wear a sash. I wanted them to have a place to keep them safe and sound and start showcasing the thing they worked so hard to get. And every once in a while, we would see another child at a national park property wearing these junior ranger vests that they sell in a lot of the gift shops. And um, sometimes they'll also have like a, a ranger sun hat that they sell. And they would put the pins on those. But I, I almost never, I don't think I've ever seen anybody with all the patches on display. So we thought about the vests. You know, I could sew the patches on the vests, probably. Um, we thought about doing a bandolier, you know, like a sash, like the Cub Scouts. But they didn't seem very practical. Um, and the thing that I really pushed back about was that, you know, I wanted a way. Our youngest at the time was five when she earned her first Junior Ranger badge. And I wanted a way for them to carry these forward through their lives that would really have staying power. Wouldn't I rather have something that's going to get used continuously over time and be treasured? And then if it's passed down, that's gravy, rather than saving something with the express purpose of only passing it down. So I started daydreaming, um, which I usually do when I'm driving in the car on the highway, about what, what way could we preserve and display these patches that would really last throughout my children's lives. When I designed um, my Kindle cover project, which is available as a free download and as a video on YouTube, and is absolutely my most popular project in the history of Whipstitch, when I designed that project, I did it driving carpool. I would sit in the front seat of the minivan. All of my children were small. They were sitting in the back of the minivan, and I didn't listen to music or audiobooks. I just relished the silence. And I think there are lots of parents who get that. Um, I need a lot of recharge time in order to give my brain space to the intensity and um, constancy of children's voices. And so turning everything off in the car was kind of my lifeline when they were all preschoolers. So that was where I did a lot of my like fantasizing and daydreaming. And I would think through projects over and over and over, kind of turn them over in my head. Like, does that work? Will that fit? Where does that go? How do I finish that raw edge? What about closures? Is it going to be too heavy? How is it going to balance? And um, so I did that for the Kindle cover, and then I did it again with these backpacks. And I daydreamed about it so long and to such a specific degree that by the time I made these projects, this backpack specifically, um, I only made it once. I never needed to make a prototype and make it over. So I designed the Junior Ranger backpack very specifically for my kids to mimic the idea of what the real National Park Service Rangers might carry. Um, to look like sort of a vintage satchel, I wanted it to have the capability to be both a shoulder bag and a backpack. I wanted it to have, like I used to have um, a reproduction Israeli paratrooper backpack that I got at, well, at the mall at Banana Republic in the sixth grade and carried as my school bag from sixth grade until graduate school. 
and literally as I'm talking right now realized that that must be where the emotional driver for these junior ranger backpacks was coming from. Um, but the daydreaming part was really, really important. I think that a lot of us tend to discount the daydreaming that goes behind a sewing project and minimize the puttering necessary in order to fully visualize a finished project before we start cutting things out. And I'm a huge advocate, huge advocate for making a muslin when sewing a garment. Um, but I also think that, that thinking things through and imagining the end use and the user experience is such a big deal when we think about uh, what we're going to invest our time and, and resources into sewing. So this is an original pattern, the Junior Ranger backpack pattern I drafted based on measurements for my children's bodies. I wanted to strike a balance between it being the right size for my kids today and uh, something that they could have over the long term, something useful to them over the long term. So something that was going to be fitting a um, an elementary age kid uh, fit like fit their back, fit their body, and not be so big that they could overstuff it and overweight it. But then, as they got older, would be sort of tote bag sized and useful in that way. And I, I know it's a little silly to have this image in my head of them treasuring these backpacks when they're older, right? Carrying them ironically in high school, um, passing them along to their own kids. Maybe that's a little delusional. But I will say, because I made these in 2017, when we really had a, a decent accumulation of patches, and here it is years later, and I will say that my children, when we go on an extended trip, uh, international trip, like when we've gone to Europe, we've been fortunate enough to go to Europe more than once, when we go to any national park, when we take a road trip, this is the backpack that they carry with them. Um, we've made them responsible for carrying their suitcases and their onboard bag anytime we travel. Um, the minute they got their first rollerboard, I was like, so that's your gig now, kid. Um, and, and these backpacks, the sizing of it has worked out in such a way that it is just right. It fits a small laptop. It also fits their books. It has enough room for a sweatshirt. Um, but it isn't so big that when it's full, um, it's overwhelming for them. So they measure about 14 inches across, uh, 12 inches tall. They are four inches deep. Um, they have a flap over the front so that it is essentially a U-shaped satchel that is a, a, a rectangle, but only barely. It's mostly a squarish rectangle. And it's moderately deep. Um, I use this heavy green brushed bull denim for the entire body of it. Um, bull denim is a term for a thicker, non-stretch denim that has, it's a bottom weight denim, um, and it's, most fabrics are sold in ounces per yard, and this particular denim I want to say is 14 ounces per yard, which is quite heavy. For once, I did not pre-wash it. Um, I really wanted it to be as stiff and as possible <laughs> in the finished bags. Um, when you buy fabric off the bolt, it has sizing on it, which is sort of like starch, but manufacturing version. And it will stiffen the fabric in a way that makes it easier to manage on the bolt for the manufacturer and for delivery and for display. By leaving that sizing in, because I mean, I'm never going to run these backpacks. Realistically, I'm not going to run these backpacks through the washing machine. 
And by leaving that sizing in, it gave a little more stiffness to the finished bag so that it would stand up a little better. Every exterior piece was interfaced. Because the bull denim that I picked, it's a really deep, rich forest green, I used ShapeFlex Interfacing, which is a Pellon product that I love. It is a very stiff interfacing that I learned about from Sarah at So Sweetness. She is like such an incredible bag maker and bag designer. Um, and I, I learned an awful lot about interfacings from her. She's actually an absurdly generous human being too. I once wrote her because we I've been fortunate enough to meet her in person and I once wrote her with a question about interfacing and she said would you like me just to send you some samples and sent me like a booklet like a little interfacing booklet with the names and, and where she used them just an incredibly generous human being she writes beautiful patterns so sweetness sew sweetness is her company and um, so she introduced me to shape flex which again is a Pellon product that is very stiff and gives a lot of support, but no loft. I didn't want to make it um, puffy. I just wanted to make it stand up. One of the other things I like about Shape Flex is that it comes in black. And if you've never worked with a black interfacing or a black, um, a black quilt batting, it, what's nice about it is that as you are sewing, particularly as a project goes along and your needle gets just a little bit duller, if you're working with a very dark fabric and you have a white interfacing or a white batting, little bits of the fluff can pop up to the upper surface of the fabric and just like live there, <laughs> like, like feathers coming out of a feather pillow. So using a black interfacing with a very dark fabric prevents that from happening. Um, and that's what I chose to use here so that I never, I never noticed if any of that came out. So when I designed these bags, again, I thought a lot about functionality. The patches, for the most part, are three-inch wide circles. So the depth of it, I think I said it's four inches. It's actually three and a half inches. The depth of it, um, the side panel, side and base panel, and I did that on purpose so that I would have room to put patches on the side panel prior to assembling the bag. There's a large front flap. So if you picture the bag at the front, it's sort of a squarish rectangle. And then there's this three and a half inch deep gusset along the sides, a side panel. The back panel goes from the base where it touches the ground all the way up and over to the front and makes a flap. So there's lots and lots of room for patches and badges. It wasn't purposeful for me to give it a front and a back and a zipper. The flap really is there as a place to display the patches. That was the whole point of the bags. I also considered as I was thinking about putting it together, because I'm using this thick denim, and I didn't want to have to think about turning everything right side out. So I planned from the beginning to line each piece and then connect it with bias tape at the edges. And that way I didn't have to turn anything inside out. And as I started thinking about that, I realized, so the front panel will be covered by the flap. That means I can put a pocket there. And the pocket could have a contrast zipper. And each of the kids can have a different colored zipper so that we can tell these bags apart, even if all the patches are very, very similar. Right, And the other thing that it turned out was really great about having a little pocket on the interior was that we had all those pin badges. Um, every National Park property would give you one of these pin badges, but they tend to pop off if they get handled roughly, if they're stressed. 
We could, because the interior pocket was a zip pocket, so it wasn't super thick, we could pin all their badges there, and that way we wouldn't lose them. And um, every once in a while, one of them will pop off. Um, and, but I'm, and I'm thinking about putting like a blob of hot glue on the connector there to hold it in place. But, um, but it's worked out really well as a place to keep the more delicate things on the interior, the pins, and then the patches can go on the exterior. The flap gets held in place with two large magnetic snaps. Um, they come in different sizes. The nice thing about the snaps is that they attach like um, like brads, you know, when you used to get those brass brads in elementary school to hold your papers together. So they go through one layer of fabric and then they clip in place um, and then you don't see them. They're not actually stitched on. So they don't have it. They're not visible. They don't have any visual impact from the exterior of the bag, which is pretty great. All the zippers that I used were standard off the rack, um, invisible zippers. At the time that I first made these, there's one small interior zip pocket and then the larger front panel full width zip pocket. Both of those are matching invisible zippers and I bought some sweet little zipper poles off Amazon um, that I've linked to in the show notes that are adorable and they make the whole bag look really professional. Um, later, after the kids had used these for a little bit, I added a chunky plastic zipper on the upper edge. I didn't open anything back out. I didn't re-sew anything. I just stitched the zipper tape straight to the bag and gave them these really fat, chunky zippers to hold the actual main compartment closed um, because we noticed that the magnetic zips that hold the flap shut weren't quite up to that task. The entire interior of the bags, that main compartment, is all lined with this National Park's fabric. And there was some like limited edition 100th anniversary stuff that came out in 2016. You can absolutely still find it if you Google National Park panel or National Park fabric. Um, I think I got mine off Etsy. It's definitely available on places like fabric.com where I think they kind of like stashed hoarded it at the beginning. Um, it was so exciting to use that fabric in these bags and get to see it so much. was the final finishing. So I sewed the front panel, which has a full width zip pocket. I sewed the back panel, which has the flap and a hidden interior pocket. I sewed the side and bottom panel, which is all one piece, a big strip that's three and a half inches wide. And I went ahead and I attached um, D-rings to the side, um, with a, a poly, a, a fluorescent yellow poly trim to hold the D-rings in place so that they could use it as a shoulder bag later. Um, on the back panel, I went ahead and attached shoulder straps, which are quilted and have that same fluorescent yellow tape on them with D-rings, so they're adjustable. So each of those pieces was made separately. The side and bottom panel, I sewed on patches before I assembled the bag. By doing that, I could do everything flat. <laughs> you know, I didn't want to mess with it down the road when the bag was already assembled. But I also didn't only want to use heat to fuse the patches in place because I don't really trust that they're going to stay in place. They all really needed stitching. So I went ahead and did that ahead of time. I did use a heavy-duty needle, um, which has a larger shank to it to pierce all of those layers. 
And then once the three main pieces were made, and I did them assembly line style, I made all three fronts, all three side panels, all three backs with the straps assembly line. This took really a lot of late nights, to be honest, back in 2017, that I would do, I would stay up late, you know, till 10 or 11 o'clock, but really cranking this stuff out, trying to make one section at a time. All right, today I'm just making all the front panels. Okay, today I'm just making all the back panels with the straps. Okay, today I'm just doing the side panels. Everything's assembled. It is the exterior fabric, which is interfaced with the, the stiff pellon. It is the lining fabric, which is interfaced with a lighter interfacing. Those are put wrong sides together and basted. If they have anything stitched through them, like a D-ring or a strap or a, a pocket or a patch, all of that is done but the edges are raw. So when it came time to assemble the actual bag, I sewed the side bottom panel to the front wrong sides together using a half inch seam allowance. So the raw edges are still hanging out and exposed. And then I made continuous bias tape out of the same brushed bull denim. Continuous bias tape is <laughs> my obsession. And there is a video tutorial on my YouTube channel if you want to make continuous bias tape. Um, you could also learn how to do it through the Murder Mystery Quilt or through the League of Dressmakers. Both of those have additional video support and downloadable PDFs that you can use to make continuous bias tape because the number of places I have discovered where continuous bias tape is exactly the right sewing tool is innumerable. And in this case, it was, it was perfect. So I made continuous bias tape, I cut it to two inches wide, and then made it double fold. So it's a half inch showing on the finished product, and it clamshells around each of those raw seams. So when I stitched the front panel to the side and bottom panel, I basted everything, and then I came back and I used my real stitches to attach the continuous bias tape. When I folded the continuous bias tape around, I, at the top edges, I folded it over and sandwiched it in between and then top stitched everything. And all those stitches are visible. I was not playing around with stitch in the ditch on this stuff. It's all visible stitching and matching thread to make it nice and easy for me. Um, the patches were already on the side, so I didn't have to worry about those. The backpack straps were enclosed in the panel um, and all of the, the rings are adjustable. And what ended up happening was that my kids just loved them. I loved them. I, I, like, I wanted to line them up. I wanted to take pictures of them. I wanted to see them all the time. I wanted to add more and more and more patches to them. The first trip we took after I made these Junior Ranger backpacks was to, um, to Disneyland in Southern California. All three of my children wore their backpacks around the park all day long. They carried their own snacks, they carried their own water bottles, and they got stopped constantly with people asking questions. They got to put their first visit pin. If you've ever been to Disneyland or Disney World, you know that they'll give you a, a huge three-inch, four-inch pin that says first visit. And people would stop them and congratulate them on coming to Disney for the first time. But over the years, the five-plus years since I've made these, they reach for them constantly. And then we've added more and more patches to them. So all that time I spent daydreaming about them in the minivan has really paid off. And the construction of them, because it was sized for their smaller bodies, but also a great tote bag size, has meant that my, 
My daughter, who is now in high school, she'll be a junior in high school soon, she wears hers as a tote bag with a shoulder strap. I love this project. I loved planning it. I loved designing it. I loved wondering if it was going to work. I loved executing the whole thing. I loved picking the, the supplies for it. And, and I have discovered as I've made things, particularly for my children, but also for me, that the more time I invest in the daydreaming and planning stage, the more it gets used. Which is not to say that I don't occasionally make projects where I just like get a wild hair and I see a pattern, I'm like, uh, I'm going to need that and I'm going to need it today. I definitely do that too. And, and I have loved many of those projects as well. The ones that have the real staying power are the ones that I really allow myself to invest in emotionally before I invest my time and my effort. Um, and it has paid off wonderfully. So if you are in the position of making something to treasure for younger people in your life, then that would be, maybe that's the, the invitation that I'm offering to you is give yourself permission to really invest in something and imagine them using it over time because sometimes they really do. And it's awesome. This episode of the Whip Stitch Podcast is brought to you by the League of Dressmakers. The League of Dressmakers is an online video sewing club complete with a library of 250 plus sewing videos, PDF downloads, exclusive patterns, and community to help you be fearless in your sewing. You can find us at League of Dressmakers. That's L-E-A-G-U-E of Dressmakers.com.